Welcome back to another episode of Nevertheless, She Persisted, your how-to guide, happy place, and support system for navigating the ups and downs of life. Please share today's episode with your friends and family members and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, I'm not a licensed therapist, just a teenage girl hoping to help. Enjoy! I'm here with Emily LeBaron from Salt Lake City, Utah, and she is the owner of the Therapy for Everyone brand, which you can find on Instagram. She's currently attending the University of Utah and studying social work. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I love the work that you're doing and the message you're spreading with Therapy for Everyone. Would you tell me and listeners a little bit more about your vision, what inspired you to start your shop and all of that? Sure. So I have always been a mental health advocate. I've dealt with mental health myself since I was a teenager, and I've always liked mental health merchandise. Mm -hmm. When I was in college, well, I'm still in college, when I was at a different college, (laughs) I was constantly talking to my roommates about therapy and mental health Mm -hmm. and medication, and it wasn't so much as like an advocate role, I just, I wanted to help them, and I, I saw that they needed some of that information. And so we talked about it a lot, and one of my roommates ended up showing me this really cool merchandise that talked all about therapy. And I was like, I didn't know that that kind of thing existed. So I ordered some of it and I liked it, but I didn't love it. I felt like there was kind of a need in the market mm-hmm. for stuff that talked about mental health and normalized it and normalized Absolutely. therapy. And I thought the stuff that was out was really expensive. I thought it was overpriced. And I didn't personally love the designs. Mm-hmm. I felt like a lot of people had just found a font in Word document. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, don't, I don't mean to criticize anyone else mm-hmm. who is telling this because I know that they've put, you know, work and effort into it. Mm-hmm. I just, I wanted something a little bit more personal. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I can do this. Like, <laughs> I think I'm going to do. Yeah. And so I started coming up with ideas. I decided therapy for everyone was the first design I wanted to come out with. And for a while I thought it would be my only design. Mm -hmm. And I had kind of a vision. I paid an artist to bring it to life. I love that it has original artwork. That's one of my favorite things. Yeah. And then it's just kind of grown from there. And then do you do stickers? I know on your Instagram, you can see the t-shirts and stuff as well. What are all the different products that you Um, sell with the therapy for everyone and the other slogans that you have? Yeah. So originally I was just going to do shirts. That was my plan. Mm -hmm. And I made the shirts and I had someone suggest to me that I should put them on stickers. And that was something I had never considered. And so I decided to put them on stickers and I ended up seeing how much people loved the stickers, which was really unexpected to me. I'm not someone who has really purchased a lot of stickers. It's definitely a new thing. Like my siblings are obsessed with them and I'm like, where do you put them even? But it totally is. Like my water bottle had no stickers mm-hmm. or anything on it. Yeah. I, mean, I now I've put all my stickers on it, mm-hmm. but like before that my laptop didn't really have any stickers. Like I didn't really know stickers were a yeah. thing. And once I kind of saw the success of the stickers, I was like, I would love to do some more stickers. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I decided for the time being to kind of focus on stickers. So right now we've got shirts and stickers the shirt is only available in the one design the therapy for everyone Mm -hmm. and then stickers are available in five different designs which designs are like which slogans are on those ones five designs so kind of the order we went the first one we released was the therapy for everyone last Mm -hmm. summer 
And then in February, we released um, two designs. One says, you can talk to me about suicide. And I loved the idea of that one, like having a sticker that showed people you were a safe person to talk to. I love that, yeah. I think they're like... One thing with suicide is there's so much like fear of silence and mm-hmm. judgment and like if I talk to this person is that okay? And so I, I love the idea. Yeah, will of putting... it like come back to bite you in the butt later, or will this impact your relationship in a super negative right, way? Like, Absolutely. What will happen? And so I loved the idea of putting it on a sticker and then you know having it on your water bottle, having it on your laptop, having mm-hmm. it on your bag, something that says, you know, just to any stranger or even a friend you can talk to me about suicide. Yeah. Like, I'm open. You can talk to me. The next one I released in also in February was, says, you're doing a really good job. I saw that quote somewhere and I loved it because I, I feel like for the most part, everyone is doing their best. Yeah, exactly. And it's so difficult when people are comparing themselves to each other and it's like, well, yes. my best doesn't look like this person's best, so mine not must be the best, right. but it's so subjective. Like, you can't compare how where you're at mentally to where someone else is at because we've all come from different backgrounds and journeys and it's just you cannot compare them exactly and it we're you know like you said we're all starting from a different place mm-hmm. and so I can't look at someone and say well you know they're doing so much better than me how is that possible because we have come from entirely different backgrounds exactly and, you know they are doing the best with the cards they've been dealt I'm doing the best with the cards I've been dealt and it looks different on both of us mm-hmm. and that's okay and so I loved that one. Um, that one's really cool because it, so the the colors in it are meant to kind of look like the beach a little bit. Mm-hmm. I grew up near the beach. It's one of my favorite places. And so I sent a bunch of like color palettes to the artists and I was like, I want you to somehow incorporate this. Yeah. The job. I love them. It was beautiful. Um, like the pastels and they all blend together. It's It's awesome. Yeah. I thought it was super fun. And so then the next one we did is a pill bottle that has flowers in it and Mm -hmm. on the front it says mental health medication I had received some feedback from people that they wanted a sticker talking about antidepressants Mm -hmm. and so I kind of spent a while thinking about how I could do that and actually I saw um on Instagram a tattoo for a girl with type 1 diabetes mm-hmm. and it was the insulin bottle with flowers in it Aww. and I thought it was a really beautiful tattoo and then it said type 1 diabetes and I thought what if we just take that change it mm-hmm. so you know we're not copying we're just inspired by yeah. it and make it for mental health medication and I specifically wanted it to say mental health medication as opposed to antidepressants because mm-hmm. there are so many different kinds definitely, of mental health you know, I feel like antidepressants is one group, but there are also antipsychotics. There are things for anxiety mm-hmm. there, you know, it's, so it's also different. And so I didn't want anyone to feel excluded from it. So that's anyway, that's why that one looks yeah, like that. I love it. It's, it reminds me of like my own journey with trying to figure out what medications worked because I was someone who probably tried six or seven different medications and I like had bad side effects or it just wasn't working and it wasn't changing. And once I got to a point where like I was committed to doing the work and I was making changes with my schedule and my relationships and my self-talk and I was also found a really good medication like it's like I just think of flowers blooming because it was like everything was coming together and I was living the fullest version of my life so I love that it's it's beautiful imagery totally agree and I I wanted it to be beautiful I didn't want it to be looked at as like this pill bottle you have Mm -hmm. to be like ashamed of yeah 
how it is. You know, it's something beautiful that modern medicine has given us. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just think it's so incredible. So I kind of, I wanted the sticker to reflect that. And then our most recent one that we just came out with last week says, I am more than my mental illness. And it has watercolor flowers all around it. The whole thing was hand painted, hand drawn. Which other ones have been done digitally. So that mm-hmm. was kind of a cool to do it a little bit on a different medium. And I have the original hanging over here that I love. That's so I awesome. Like that and I, I kind of, I came to that conclusion because for so many years when I was a teenager, I talked about myself like I was depressed, like depression mm-hmm. was me. I completely like, agree. Yeah. Yeah, like I I have depression and anxiety. I mean, it it would be like, oh, my name is Emily and I suffer from mental illness. Yeah, no, I I was my messed up relationships. I was my like complete emotional dysregulation constantly. Like that was just me. And I was like, my parents knew me for that craziness. My friends knew me as being withdrawn. It felt like every single aspect of my life, every day I was going to all these appointments, every day I felt so sad and overwhelmed. Yes, totally agree. When I was new to making my Instagram account, truthfully, I don't really know anything about marketing on Instagram or running an Instagram account. You know, um, I've been doing this for under a year and I'm, I'm figuring it out as I go. But in the beginning, I kind of wanted to make some posts with quotes. And so I did one that said, you are more than your mental illness. And I ended up really liking that. And I was like, I'm going to put that on a sticker because I want people to know that, you know, you are more than your mental illness. Like for me, my mental illness is definitely a part of who who I am. It's a part of my story. It's, but it's not me. Like there is so much more to me than just a mental illness. And I, like for so long, I attributed like my lack of friends or my lack of like any romantic relationships kind of like, oh, well, I have mental illness. And so I, it's like depressing. Like who wants to be around? Because that's what I've always said is I'm like, depression is really depressing. Like it's so depressing. And so I was like, that must be why. And I was talking to my mom about it and she was like, depression is not you. Like it's definitely, you know, it's a part of who you are, but it is not who you are. It does not impact how people see you. It does not like you are so much more than that. So I, I love that idea of like, you know, it's something you take with you and you, you carry with you, you use it to empathize with other people. So I was officially diagnosed with major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder when I was 15. I, my, so it was my sophomore year of high school and it was not a great year for me. I had, so for a little history, I grew up kind of moving around. And when I was 10, we moved to Maryland from Texas. And so I was starting fresh. It was a new school. And this wasn't my first time doing this, but it was the first time that I struggled to make friends. Like I could not seem to make friends at school to save my life. And I just could not understand it. And it was really difficult for me. So you know, we go from fifth grade to 10th grade, and I still haven't really made any close friends. And my school was very, like, I live in Utah now. I graduated from high school here in Utah. It was very different than high school was here. In Maryland, you had to be beeped into the school. Lunches were organized into three sections. So you had first lunch, second lunch, or third lunch, and you had 15 minutes to eat. You had to eat in the cafeteria. Like, they had people who blocked it, so you couldn't eat anywhere else. 
the only place you could go was the bathroom. But if you were caught going anywhere else, you could get detention or suspended. And so it was very, and that, like, that's how it was. And it was based on where you were in the building. So it was like C and D wing ate together for second lunch. And it just depended on whatever your fourth period class was. And my sophomore year, I ended up in a class with a, a bunch of freshmen. Not that that was a bad thing. It was just the, you know, the people who were in my class were ones that I had at least been with for the last five years. And it, so it was geometry was the class. And I just could not find people to eat lunch with. Like, I most of the time, I didn't have any like, I had one really super close friend, but we often didn't have the same lunch. And everyone else was kind of acquaintances. Like, we knew each other, we talked to each other. And those are people I would happily eat lunch with, but I could, none of those people were in my lunch period. So that was really hard. I mean, coming in there and, and so for a while I would like bring a book with me and I would just read. I've always been a big reader and I just always kind of thought, well, if people see me reading, then they won't feel bad for me and it won't be like a, you know, a pity thing. And so I did that for a while and then I just kind of gave up and started eating in the bathroom because I felt like people were looking at me and people were laughing at me. And I don't know how much of that is true, you know, because we definitely perceive the world a little bit differently than maybe how it's happening. I can think of three different experiences where I was laughed at for sitting by myself. And that was so painful for me because it was like, what, like, what is it about me that to make friends? Like, why don't people want to be my friend? And I've always considered myself a good friend. You know, I try to be kind to everybody. I, anyway, I couldn't figure it out. And so I started eating in the bathroom. And at first it was actually really fine because no one knew. And beyond that, we had just, I had just gotten an iPhone. And so I would like put in headphones and watch Netflix. And so it was kind of a win-win for me for a while there. Like I was like, I get to watch TV during lunch and I get to eat my lunch and no one knows. And I'm like, I'm kind of sliding under the radar, like, so it was kind of a really cool thing and then it it got less cool <laughs> and started to make me feel very sad this wasn't the first time I had eaten lunch alone in seventh grade I did the same thing but I so for a while there it was fine and then it wasn't so fine and next thing you know lunch is consuming my whole day like I am thinking about lunch when I get in the shower in the morning at 5 a.m. and I'm crying in the shower thinking I'm gonna have to go to lunch in five hours and then my whole morning is okay lunch is coming up in an hour lunch is in 30 minutes and then lunch is over and then all of a sudden I'm like okay well I've got like 24 more hours before lunch <laughs> I'll do it all over again there was never any like peace from this lunch and I mean, it just stressed me out. It got to a point where it was really difficult for me. I like finally brought it up to my mom. It wasn't something I had told her. And, you know, she tried to help me the best she could. I begged her to homeschool me. It wasn't something she could do at the time. And so it was just really hard. And it was kind of like the physical evidence of me not having friends. Like before that, all the evidence had kind of been emotional. and. I I had a really good group of friends from church, but none of us went to the same schools, which was awesome when we got together for church gatherings, but 
when I was at school, that didn't help at all. So I, I was like, I know I can make friends. Like I know I'm capable, but for whatever reason, this isn't happening for me. And it it was really like the first time I was looking at it physically, like before then it was just kind of like my emotional feelings. And I, I didn't really know how to I don't know, process those. And so all of a sudden I felt like I was looking at the physical evidence of me not having friends. And that was really difficult for me. And that kind of in a culmination with a couple other things that were going on, mostly that though, it just, it, I feel like it just really started to make me sad. <laughs> I, was, I was sad a lot. And I really felt like that was kind of the beginning. Like I started becoming a lot more withdrawn I didn't want to do the things I loved doing. I, that year I built up my own piano business where I was a teacher and I had over 30 students and I was so proud of this. I mean, this is something, you know, at 15 that I completely did for myself and, you know, I I was so proud of what I was doing and all of a sudden I didn't love it anymore. And I, I didn't like what I was doing. I loved the piano. I didn't want to practice anymore. Did you get I, to that point where like every single time you had to do something relating to the piano, you were like dreading it and it was like a yep. chore? Yeah. Yeah. Every single time. And I, my mom kept, I think she brought it up to me once where she was like, I think you might be depressed. And I was like, <laughs> absolutely not. Like, <laughs> not a chance. Not me. Not yeah. me. Uh-uh. It's not happening. Like, yeah. that's not me. Like, what? No. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like I ignored it for a while and there I do remember one day I was sitting at the piano and I was like trying to practice Mm -hmm. and I'm just crying like nonstop. yeah yeah I mean I really a lot of it was like sleep started to consume my life Mm -hmm. all I wanted to do was sleep if I could have slept all day all night like kind of my way of like numbing out the Mm -hmm. world that was my plan yeah like I'll just sleep Forever. Forever. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So, you know, there were a lot of like little signs here and there, but one day I'm playing the piano and our piano was in the same room as like where our home computer was. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing the piano and I'm crying and my tears are like falling on the music and yeah. they're like blurring out the note. <laughs> and it was just so sad. And I, I swear I cried it ever. I mean, I felt like I was crying all the time. Yeah. Like, I cried that much in my life. Mm hmm. And my mom was finally like, okay, that's it. We're going to the doctor. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no more. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, we're going way. to the doctor. And so we just went to my pediatrician. Mm-hmm. That was kind of our, our starting place. And I loved my pediatrician. She was so kind. And she was kind of like, yeah, I think you're depressed. Like, I really think that's what's going on. And so I went to her and she immediately put me on Zoloft. Mm-hmm. Um, within I think the first appointment I was put on Zoloft Mm -hmm. and then I was she referred me to a psychiatrist who I went and saw and she definitely was a psychiatrist but she was also kind of a therapist like Mm -hmm. you know we we would go in and talk about medication and things but we would also talk about my life and kind Mm -hmm. of stressors going on and she was really great. I really loved her. I also started going to a therapist, but I, I had a hard time connecting with this therapist. Yeah. We had, I think, two sessions. I didn't want to see her again. I didn't want to go back. So I didn't. And I just kind of lived in this, like, sort of limbo where things had gotten better, like... You better. weren't at a low anymore, but they weren't good. Yes. Like, they'd kind of gotten to the middle somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I wasn't nearly as bad as I had been. But I definitely wasn't, like, great. Yeah, yeah. 
And so I, I kind of got to that point and then, and I lived like that for over a year. Mm-hmm. And then right before my senior year of high school, we moved to Utah. And actually the the move came as a huge relief to me because I was switching schools. Yeah. And I, I was incredibly excited about it. And I ended up making a really great group of friends when I got here to Utah. That's which awesome. It was absolutely incredible. And it, you know, it made me feel a lot better about myself. Like I could make mm-hmm. friends, and, but the move was a lot more taxing on me than I thought it would be because I wanted it so badly. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to move before your senior year of high school. Like I to, can't imagine. Yeah. Go into your senior year across the country and you don't know anybody. Yeah. And it wasn't my first time starting in a new school, but it was hard. Like yeah. it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. And so I kind of, I started to like dip down low again. And I also, I wasn't fantastic at taking medication. <laughs> I had a little bit of like a vendetta against taking medication. I was mm-hmm. like, well, this isn't who I am. This makes me someone else. This is yeah. my personality. I don't want it. And so I would go on and off of it. I would go through withdrawal and then I would take it again because withdrawal was so miserable. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so I, I wasn't great at taking medication. We got here, things kind of hit a low again. My mom found me a really great therapist who I still love and see four years later because mm-hmm. she was incredible. And so really connecting with her was a big milestone in kind of my mental health journey mm-hmm. because we clicked so well. And I just, with the other therapists I had had, I felt like they kind of sat there the whole time taking notes. And I, I wasn't, I didn't really feel like they were engaged. And I always wonder just, what they're writing. Like, I know. What are you? you... Well, okay. I'll tell you now that I am in school to become a therapist. Mm-hmm. They're writing down every detail of you. Oh my god! So that they don't forget for the next session, and then they yeah. can help. You. <laughs> like my therapist now, she like reads back what she writes. She knows she's writing it down correctly, and she's like, "I'm just doodling. Don't worry." Uh-huh. It's like her. I know what she's writing, but sometimes I'm like, "What did they have to write down? Like, what's going right. on?" Yeah. Yeah, and so. I felt like every therapist was just kind of writing down and like, I don't know. I didn't really feel like I was getting anything out of it. And I go to this therapist, her name is Debbie. And the first thing she did is she didn't pull out a notepad at all. Like she had no notepad, no pen. And she just sat there and like intently like leaned in and just listened to me. And I seriously just sat there and cried for an entire hour about everything that was going on, everything Mm -hmm. that had happened high school and I feel like that's where the best relationships with therapists start because I switched therapists because my therapist was a postdoc and she was going back to where she was originally from and I was like so opposed to having a new therapist I was in freshman year at the time and so I got this new therapist and I was like I'm quitting therapy there's no more I'm done and I went in and I just started sobbing and she was one of the best therapists that I've ever had because she was like okay like what's going on here but I just let it go like I just told her everything that was going on and was a hundred percent real about it and that Mm -hmm. built such a great foundation but totally agree that's what I did too and she was so kind and like caring towards Mm -hmm. me and she listened to me and you know because listening is really a skill mm-hmm. like I think we think that just everyone is has the ability to listen and that is not true like it's it's definitely takes practice yeah to listen to people and mm-hmm. so to have someone just 
sit there and listen and she wasn't giving me her like opinion or judgment on anything it was just pure listening and I was so like I just I loved it and she was like you want to come back and I was like yeah yep tomorrow I'll be right here <laughs> yeah and so I saw her weekly for a year mm-hmm and I looked forward to those appointments. I mean, they yeah. were so helpful for like, me. That's and- the difference that a good therapist makes. I remember when I was at residential and my therapist was like, you got to get up and go to groups. And I was like, do I though? I can just sit here. <laughs> and she was like, if you go to your groups, I will do therapy with you every day. And I was like, done. I'm up. Yeah, I'm no. going to the groups. <laughs> and we literally did therapy every single day. And so for like, for anyone else, it'd be like, oh, therapy, like that's awful. Why would you want to do that every day? But I was like, she she listens she helps no. and it's great and well was, so I go yeah. to therapy now twice a month because mm-hmm. we don't have the same insurance we did when I was in high school and mm-hmm. so she's not covered on our insurance anymore so I can only afford to go twice a month but if money were like not a concern or anything I would go see her twice a week yeah and- like every day just check in you know yeah yeah like, I, I feel like I gained so much from going to therapy. I mean, I look forward to my appointments mm-hmm. with her. Like, I'll be like, okay, I've got one on this Tuesday. And so then I kind of prepare for that Tuesday. I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to, we're going to yeah. go over this. I think I've discovered a problem with this. No, I like put little notes. I'm like, okay, God, she's going to want to hear about this like guy again. Like, this uh-huh. is an issue. I got to tell her this again. Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> No, I'm totally the same way. So finding her, I feel like really changed things for me mm-hmm. in a way that medication at the time hadn't been able to, yeah. you know, medication definitely helped me and it made things better, but it didn't it's not everything. change everything. Yeah. And I, I thought it would. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, I ended up going on Prozac mm-hmm. after, cause we kind of, we decided Zoloft wasn't doing enough. You know, I found a new psychiatrist that specialized in teenagers, which mm-hmm. made all the difference. And that's like so, that that's kind of hard to find. Like, so hard to, to find. To get a psychiatrist that specifically works with teenagers and has experience with mm-hmm. prescribing different teenagers different medications, like, that's crazy hard. I remember yeah. I went to one psychiatrist and she prescribed me some antidepressant that I have never heard of. And she was like, mm-hmm. this one kid thought it was helpful. And I was like, okay and I went to my next psychiatrist and she was like I'm sorry what are you on right now and I was like I don't know she said it was helpful right it's it's hard to find a psychiatrist for adolescents that really knows what they're doing so hard to find and anyway so I you know I found her ended up going on Prozac Prozac was so much better for me than Zola Mm -hmm. so you know, even now I'm still on Prozac. I've, I've been on that for three years. Mm-hmm. I've done, it's the best I've ever done on a medication, you know, and I've, I've had little medications added in here and there. Like I, I went through a really rough bump. Things were, my depression was worse than it had been in mm-hmm. a while. And, you know, I was trying to openly communicate with my psychiatrist about that. And so I was put on Abilify for like, mm-hmm. I think two months or something. And that was to just kind of like help even things out for a while. And in 2018, I went through kind of another rough patch Mm -hmm. and I was put on a couple different medications and those did not work. And, you know, things started mixing, it didn't go well. Yeah, yeah. So then I was taken off everything and just put right back on Prozac. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, with medication, there's so much trial and error 
which makes it so hard mm-hmm. because it's, you know, if you break a bone, you go to the doctor and you pretty much plan on getting a cast and yeah. the doctor will look at a broken bone and be like, okay, cast for this one, cast for that one, mm-hmm. you know, cast. And they'd be like, I mean, I guess what color, but like, that doesn't matter. It doesn't right. make a difference. Like, yeah. The, the treatment is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Mental health is not that way. Exactly. Like, it's, it's, yeah. Like I mentioned, I was on like so different. seven different medications and after two years of different psychiatrists, I went back on the first medication I'd ever tried. Mm-hmm. And it's what I've been on ever since. And it's mm-hmm. what's truly helped. And from the beginning, when they first put me on that, they had added a mood stabilizer. They added nightmare medication. They added um, anti-anxiety meds. They added sleep mm-hmm. meds. And it was like this whole cocktail of things that was just mixing and had so many side effects. And totally just wasn't agree. working. And I was like, I don't feel better. So they are like, let's try another um medication and my stomach was dying and then I was allergic to one and so it was a mess and so we just went back to the first one but it wasn't until I was truly engaging in therapy that the water wings of the medication really did their job and that was the push that I needed to like see a change in my mood Uh and I I mean that's almost the exact situation I was in I was on an antidepressant used to treat headaches Mm mm-hmm and so I, I was on that because I was having bad migraines at the time. So I'm on that. Plus, I'm on my normal medication. <laughs> yeah. Then I start having insomnia. So I'm prescribed, like, a sedative so I can start sleeping at night. Then I start mm-hmm. getting panic attacks. So I'm prescribed it's anxiety. Yeah. for the panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and the next thing you know, I'm on six medications. And I'm like, none mm-hmm. of these are working. And they're all yeah. mixed together. And, you know, and now my mood is shifting. So now I need a mood stabilizer. And so... Yeah. And I think part of me, when I was at such a low, like, having that prescription written, it meant that someone saw that I was in pain. So part of me was like, this is validation. This means it's real. And so I kind of thrived off that prescription that, like, I'm in pain. They can see this. And this is the proof to anyone that's like, you're not depressed. I'll be like, no, no, no. Yes, I am. Look right here. Like, I went to a doctor. Yeah. Doctor said I am. Yeah. And so that was what kept me like on all those different cocktails and medications for all these different things and really prevented me from choosing to try and work on the sleep and the anxiety and the OCD myself because I was like well I'm on these medications and this is supposed to do something but yeah it was the combination of the right medication and really choosing to do the work and dig into that it does wonders for sure Seriously, I, I want to find this. I saw a really awesome, oh, I hope I can find it, an analogy for kind of like you were talking about with water weights for like therapy and mental and medication <laughs> and kind of the combination. And it says like we are all swimming across a large body of water, but some of us for whatever reason have extra weights on our wrists and ankles. Therapy is learning new strokes and more effective ways to swim. But if the weights are too heavy, you won't be able to learn the strokes without sinking. Medication removes the weights or at least lightens them, freeing you to learn the strokes. But if all you do is remove the weights without learning the skills, it will prove to be a hard combination to move forward. Yeah, I love that. I thought that was so so true. Yeah. Like the two, I I personally feel that the two have been the best treatment for me doing Mm -hmm. both therapy and being on medication. And that's what I, you know, try to talk to people about is like medication is awesome Mm -hmm. and it will really help you. 
And but it like goes back to if some of us have these weights on us, like again, we all are starting at different places. That's why you can't compare yourself to someone else. Totally. You can just go ahead and skate on through. Like we're all in different places. We all need different things. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I I just I think the best mental health treatment is a combination of therapy and medication. And I think it can work wonders. Absolutely. Done right. Yeah. This kind of goes back to like what you're saying. And I don't know if you'd give the same advice, but if you could go back to when you were 15, when you went to your pediatrician, what would you tell yourself and your parents when you started looking for that effective mix of treatment? Would you say, try this, just do therapy, do medication? Would you give yourself or what would you, what would you tell yourself? Uh, A couple of things. The first thing I would tell myself is to focus a lot more on therapy. I was really kind of stuck on the idea of it being like just a chemical issue. And once the chemicals were fixed, everything would be better. Yeah. And so, like it was like I did that too. I was like, it's not me. Like it's something right. else. It's not my <laughs> fault. I'm not the problem. Yeah. Right. And so for the first while there, I just was on medication. I think mm-hmm. for almost the first two years, I was just on medication. And then once I got into therapy, I was like, oh, like these two There's things. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like these are not two separate entities. Like mm-hmm. they work together and they help each other. And so kind of the first thing I would say is like, go to therapy. Like mm-hmm. therapy is not nonsense. And it was hard because the first couple therapists I tried, I didn't connect with. And so I was like, I don't understand what's going exactly. on. Exactly. The first therapist I went to, she was a counselor and the school had recommended her because my mom was like, but I don't know what to do. Yeah. And we would do sticker charts for my behaviors. Yeah. And I was like, getting depressed at that point and she never mentioned anything to my mom to like anyone so it definitely is finding the right person and getting the right relationship because if you're in the wrong therapist it can feel like you're going backwards for sure yeah and it was just it you know I went to one therapist who spent most of the time either telling me about other clients or her own life Mm -hmm. and I was kind of like listen an hour to talk about me like yeah I am here to talk about my, my problems, problems. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I don't really want to hear about your problem like mm-hmm. you should go to your therapist to talk about your problems Definitely. and right now we're going to talk about mine mm-hmm. and so like with her I felt really frustrated and anyways because it's so important to find a therapist you connect with like you yeah. are not going to connect with everyone you know I, I think back to kind of like elementary school you don't connect with every teacher you have mm-hmm. like you might connect with your third grade teacher a whole lot better than you did your first grade teacher mm-hmm. and a lot of that just comes to personality different personalities work better together and they they complement each other better mm-hmm. and so I you know I think it's really the same with therapists is you have to be patient and find one that you really connect with because if you are not connecting well with the therapist and the both of you are not on the same page you're not going to get any of that internal work done definitely like it's so important I don't know a good therapist so important (laughs) like you can only be so vulnerable and only share so much but if you don't feel validated if you don't feel like you're being supported it's not going to do anything it's like if you go to a super unhealthy friend and you unload all these things you're struggling with like that's not going to help you or your relationship because it's just not a good it's not a good match but yeah not at all so I also wanted to talk a little bit about this mental health crisis that is happening due to COVID-19 and all the 
isolation that's taking place, all the increases in suicides and rates of depression and all of that. So when we first started talking, you shared some statistics. I was wondering if you could share those with listeners as well. Yeah, so suicide is the highest it's ever been. I actually just read something that I thought was really interesting, and it said COVID-19 will touch you emotionally far before it touches you physically. It's crazy. I thought that was interesting, you know, and this isn't really something we're talking about. We're talking about deaths right now, you know, number Mm -hmm. of deaths. We are not talking about the people who are dying from suicide because they are isolated they're alone they're staying inside their house they're They're experiencing unemployment they have to support their families and they don't know how it's right we're not talking about those deaths we're we're talking strictly about the people who are dying you know of corona but the death count is a whole lot higher for the people who are struggling with this mentally and emotionally so kind of with that the National Suicide Hotline, and this is the one for the whole country, mm-hmm. uh, gets somewhere between 300 to 500 calls a day. Now, this is a typical, usual, no pandemic, mm-hmm. just normal Tuesday, normal day. Yeah. yeah. That time period between 9-11 and now, kind of mm-hmm. that, you know, it's been this, nor you know, normal yeah. time, mm-hmm. 300 to 500 calls. Well, since lockdown has happened in every state and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's some places than others, the calls are in the thousands and they simply don't have the manpower to keep up with that. They don't have enough people trained. I mean, when you're used to getting somewhere between 300 to 500 calls, you have enough people to manage those calls. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have enough people to manage 2,000 to 3,000 calls. Yeah, and even if it was normal time, you could bring in volunteers and train them on the spot. We can't do that anymore. It's so hard to figure out what headspace people are in. Can they handle managing a crisis from over a phone, especially with this anxiety that's going on for everyone right now? It's, it's, we don't have the manpower or the emotional capacity. No, and like the, they have a crisis text line. So like, if you're not comfortable calling, you can Mm -hmm. text and that is up 40%. From what it usually is yeah and in march there were a hundred thousand conversations in, it's insane and those are just and, the people that are, are brave enough and feel enough strength to reach out i know yeah i couldn't do that for so long i was in denial i yeah. was scared it was too much for me to contemplate to talk about how i was feeling so seriously just, those those i mean yeah. those numbers are small like that's just a small portion of the people out there who are struggling. I mean, you know, when, when you look at that, that's just the national numbers. Like I know from my state, my County, mm-hmm. we have our own numbers. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a suicide hotline just for Utah. There's a suicide hotline just for Salt Lake there, you know, and mm-hmm. almost every state has one of those. And so you know, the thousands is just the national numbers. That's not even the individual state and county numbers, which I can't even imagine how many people are calling, you know, if you were to round up all of those numbers. And like you said, those are just the people who are brave enough to call. What about all the people who aren't brave enough to call? Interestingly enough, I had a friend recently post about masks and was on Facebook and was kind of asking, you know, are there any people who aren't wearing your masks and why? Like she just wanted to know. And so many of the comments were like, 
I had been abused or strangled. And so having something on my face gives me a panic attack. It's very difficult. And I just think that's not the stuff we're talking about in all of this. We're not, we're not talking about mental and emotional health. And we're also not trying to understand it. There's so many deeper issues that are going into this. So let's just try and remember that and be kind to other people when they, you know, when, because I mean, I feel like it goes back to kind of like my sticker saying, but I love it is that everyone is just trying their best. Like I, I truly believe that about people. I believe that everyone is just doing their best with the tools they have been given. And, you know, we've all been given different tools and that's why someone may be handling this different than someone else. But we're all at the end of the day, we are just doing the best we can. And that's all you can ask of someone. So after going through your own therapy journey and building your brand and all of that, what's your best advice for listeners? I feel like my biggest advice is to reach out to someone. And if someone, if you reach out to someone and they tell you mental health is not real, or it's in your mind, or you need to get over it, you need to reach out to someone else. Because, no, if that's something, because I hear that so often, like, oh, that's what I was told, and so I just gave up. Do not give up. If someone tells you that about how you are feeling, and they do not validate how you are feeling, then you need to find someone else to talk to. And it can be a stranger, you know. I'm constantly talking to people who just messaged me on my Instagram. And I know there are so many other mental health accounts out there that are more than willing to have you message them. And so, you know, even if it's just a stranger message them, talk to them. You, you know, I know I feel so much better after talking to someone. If you don't feel like you can reach out to a stranger, then, you know, text someone either from your County local or state, you know, even national text line. If calling is not something you're comfortable with, I know like as a society, we've moved far away from phone calls and texting is now normal. If you would rather text someone and just have that message go back and forth, totally do it. And they will talk to you just because you text someone from a suicide hotline does not mean the police or the ambulance will be at your house in a minute. And there are also other lines. There's one called the warm line, which is for if you just want someone to talk to, like you're not in immediate danger but you're feeling lonely and you're, you know, or you're just feeling low and you want some help, you know, and talk to them. There are places for domestic violence there, but you know, so my, I feel like my biggest advice is if you are not feeling well and you don't know why, or you're just not feeling well. And even if you do know why talk to someone, like reach out, talk to someone and make sure they validate your feelings. So where can listeners find you? Where can they find your brand and your accounts and all of that? So um, on Facebook, my Facebook page is Therapy for Everyone. Um, on Instagram, the handle is Therapy for Everyone with an underscore at the end. My personal page is Emily.LeBaron on Instagram. You're more than welcome to follow me there too, although I definitely don't put as much effort into it as I do my business account. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being a guest and joining me and having this great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this week's episode of Nevertheless, She Persisted, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends and family. To stay updated on new episodes dropping and bonus content, follow Nevertheless, She Persisted on social media. Instagram at She Persisted Podcast, Twitter at Persist Podcast, Facebook at Nevertheless, She Persisted Podcast with Sadie Sai, and check out my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com.
And don't worry, all of these are linked in today's episode notes. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you